Let's talk self-awareness in this episode of Abundantly Charged. Stay tuned. Welcome to the premiere season of Abundantly Charged. We're your hosts, Dr. Grant Chandler, CEO of Students Matter, and Jill Lewis, CEO of Brilliance and Beyond. In this season, we'll mix interviews and great conversations with in-depth thinking around key social and emotional skills we need as educators to keep us fully prepared to successfully navigate the demands of teaching and leading in the 21st century classrooms. The demands of the educational system have never been stronger. While we all know we need transformative change to revolutionize this troubled system, ensuring our own high-powered social and emotional skills will help each of us navigate these changes while developing these critical skills in our students, too. Join us as we explore how we remain abundantly charged. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Abundantly Charged. I'm Dr. Grant Chandler. And I'm Jill Lewis. And together, Grant and I are very excited to welcome you to this brand new podcast, Abundantly Charged. In this episode, we're going to talk about self-awareness. We're going to talk about what it is, why we need it, and ways to incorporate it into your everyday life so that you too can be abundantly charged. So I think that self-awareness in a nutshell is like looking and seeing and discovering who you really are. It's like looking into a mirror. It's thinking about what makes you tick, what triggers you, what you find joy in doing and what you desire. What do you think, Jill? Well, the official definition from Castle is which is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, says that self-awareness is the ability to understand one's own emotions, thoughts, and values, and then how they influence behavior across contexts. I see self-awareness as a gift. It allows us to see the effects we have on people in the places we live and work on a daily basis. Um, and I also see it as it's the opposite of intuition, where someone just knows something but is unaware of the why. Self-awareness goes beyond intuition. It recognizes the what, and then it also recognizes the why of the emotions, the thoughts, and the values. You know, that might be some, I mean, understanding the why behind that, that sometimes can be a, a, a tough journey, can't it? I agree. So I see it as, you know, I can identify like, here's how I'm feeling. Here's, here's what this is, but really digging in, it takes time to kind of dig in at times to see why am I feeling this like this way? What is it that is going back to what you were saying is the trigger aspect. What is it triggering? What is it bringing up in my thought processes that makes me feel this way? And so that's where the self-awareness truly comes in. So, you know, when you, as I, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about, you know, all of the, all of the really difficult things that life seems to throw at us all the time. Right. And we could certainly say that 
2020, 2021, and 2022 have been even so far, even on on this, the seventh day of 2022. It's it's you know tough. There's you know Omicron. There's snowstorms everywhere. There's people getting stuck on highways. People getting stuck in airports. It seems like this whole idea of self awareness would be really important as we struggle with and and just endure and respond to things that sometimes can be tough. Mm -hmm. I think most people right now are in survival mode and especially educators are in survival mode. The January 4th article from Forbes uh, states uh, that educators are burning out at a rate twice as much as other government employees. And I'm thinking, whoa, and that's um, going back to the article that says why education is about to reach a crisis of epic proportions. You know, school employees report higher levels of anxiety at 34%, stress at 52%, and burnout at 52% during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, this is comparatively to 29% of other government workers. Um, and, And, you know, when we think about this, we think about survival. We truly are surviving. In fact, before we got on, we were talking about just that crux of making decisions, right? We're making so many decisions, but I can say that it's at some point, there are so many hard decisions or decisions are just hard to make even to the point of what am I going to have for supper tonight? What are we going to make for supper? It's having those decisions. I am, I am at a point where I'm burnt out about trying to decide so many things because every single thing is one of those big decisions, whether we go outside, whether we go to an event, whether we are among another person, what do we know about them? What do we not know about them? So all these things are really adding into creating this, this cataclysmic event of what do we do in this situation? Why do you think that educators are potentially they certainly report higher levels of anxiety, stress, and burnout. Why do you think that's so? I think it is because educators are at a point where they truly are in survival mode. They are trying to do everything and continue to have things placed on their plates That isn't necessarily different from previous years, but it is also different because of the ramifications that it has within their classroom, within their daily aspects of teaching. What they do here is really hard to do over on this side. And so the balance is no longer there. And that's where I think it really becomes difficult. They have to own their thoughts, their feelings, their behaviors, and their responses. But here's what is happening. A price is being paid to continue to ask more of teachers day in, day out, because there's not a respite. There's not time where they are able to recharge. It is a constancy of of doing more and providing for others, even though their buckets aren't full. You know, that's a really great, a really great way of, I think, of of explaining that difference. It's also, I think, a great segue into my next question, which is, you know, if we are, if we value being self-aware, then that's, that's work 
in and of itself. I mean, we don't just we don't just wake up every morning and go, oh, I'm self-aware. I uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, and you don't just, you know, your feet hit the ground and then you keep moving, you know, 90 miles an hour. Being self-aware means that you're going to take some time to think, to reflect and to kind of connect with yourself. So what happens when what, what do you do when you take the time, Jill, to, 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 to really reconnect with yourself and to reflect? Mm-hmm. The first part is you have to see yourself honestly. You have to look at the flaws. You have to see what are the strengths. But where is it that I truly am? I need to take that, that litmus test of what, how am I showing up? And what does that really look like? Am I showing up as the person I want to be, or am I showing up in a not so person that I want to be? What does that look like? And I truly think when we, we see those flaws, we also have to take a look at what our strengths are too. So, but we have to really be honest with ourselves of who we are showing up in the time that we are in. So there's an element of courage that comes into being self-aware, isn't there? I think there's courageousness and bravery that do come in there because when you are doing that, you're saying to yourself, okay, I may not be everything I want to be right now. So what is it that I can do about? And that's where we identify and we control our emotions. So we have to identify what is it that's bringing us to that And why is that emotion coming out? But then how do I control that emotion? What am I doing to look at understanding what that emotion is? And then you have to realize your strengths and your weaknesses. And sometimes, you know, when we say weaknesses, people are like, they cringe and they go, oh, wait a minute, that weakness aspect, hold on. We all have them, right? We have growth areas. Well, speak for yourself. Well, I can honestly say that whole reflection piece, there's so many things that I need to do better. Yeah, me there too. Are also, there are also really good things that I do well too. I may not do them well all the time and maybe not in necessarily this particular moment in time. And I can always make the decision and I have the choice to take strides toward growth and to changing that and to seeing how can I do better? How can I be better? How can I come to a place? in this moment in time, that's going to move me forward. And I think that's really what being self-aware means. When you look at those four different areas that I just mentioned, it really brings it into a compact way of identifying how I can be self-aware, even in times of trauma, even in times where I am like, what a rough day or what a rough period um, or classroom that I'm teaching, or maybe I didn't handle this particular student well, or maybe um, my colleague triggered me. What do I need to do differently next time? So when we think about it and we think about, you know, we've talked in our, in our pilot episode, we talked about the fact that, yeah, we know that the system's flawed and we know that there's work that has to be done on the system, which of course we think is also really important, but not the subject of this particular podcast, (laughs) abundantly charged. But then it becomes really important for us to be self-aware in terms of how we respond to, how we survive, right? While that system is, you know, hopefully undergoing the changes that it needs to, to make so that it can, so that we can all be better supported. So I just wanted to recap 
those four things because I know that you have some suggestions and some and some ways that we can um, build our own self awareness. So those four things again were to see yourself honestly, flaws and all. Yikes. <laughs> to identify and, and control your emotions, to realize your strengths and your weaknesses, and then to take strides toward growth. And I think that's a really great way that you have kind of encapsulated and summarized what, what we think of when we think of someone who is self-aware. So let's you know, take a look at a, a, a couple of ways that you know, teachers and leaders and, you know, anybody for that matter can build their own level of self-awareness. And the first one that we're going to talk about is something that you call me or them. What is that? Well, this activity is really simple and it's designed to make you think and reflect. And this is where you can do this on a drive home. This can be uh, in between passing periods, uh, while you're writing something possibly in, you know, on the Promethean board or your smart board, but this is how you need to think about it. Ask yourself who you treat better yourself or others. And what does that mean? Yeah, go ahead. And and that's a, that's a loaded question. It is a loaded question. And notice that I paused there too, because I wanted people, I wanted it to really sink in. Um, Who do you treat better yourself or others? It is such a loaded question and be honest. And I can tell you that um, over the past couple of years, I've had to do some really strong digging personally, because my health was deteriorating in a place where I wasn't able to not only take care of myself, but my family. And so there I had to do some self-reflection, like, what do I do? Um, What am I doing? And so I had to be really honest with myself, which goes back to really that flaws and all part that we talked about as part of that process. There's no right or wrong here. Um, It's just self-reflection. And when we think about a perfect world, you would treat yourself with the same patience and kindness you use with others. I would say, I mean, if we took and treated ourselves like we do the students in our classroom or our colleagues or our leadership in our building, you would be very kind um, to yourself. So that's one of the pieces. So that's the me, um, that is the um, me or them approach. Now there is a caveat there. Um, You should not treat yourself so much better that your friends and family begin to feel slighted. So this is where that selfishness comes in, right? You shouldn't necessarily be so selfish that you're leaving everybody else in the dust because you're treating yourself so much better. There's got to be that balance. But if you, once again, don't fill your cup, you can't help others. And And you can't fill their cups. That's a really nice way of, of, you know, of, of thinking about that balance, right? You can't treat others the way you want to treat them if your cup is empty. And so if you focus just on yourself, then you're slighting other people. And if you're focused just on other people, you're slighting yourself and there's always a price to pay. So this is about finding that balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, the second idea that you that you bring to the table is a is one that um, I love and that is this idea of self-talk 
Mm-hmm. So everyone has self-talk going on in their head. And most of the time it is negative self-talk. I mean, if you were to just take a, take note in five minutes of the type of talk that goes on your head, I wonder what the percentage would be of positive to negative. So a colleague of mine gave me this book called Taming Your Gremlin by Rick Carson. And it was, it's just so enlightening. Um, It is one that I would recommend reading, especially if this is, if negative self-talk is something that you really hone in on and you start to own. So he shares, Rick shares um, that there are different gremlins he has met over the years. And what do I mean by a gremlin? Well, think about it this way. The gremlin is the negative self-talk that creeps in your head throughout the day. Each gremlin is very different and it has a different type of personality that will match any and every situation. So there are loads and loads of different gremlins that show up. And I keep thinking of, uh, you know, gremlins, the movie and how many different gremlins showed up and each one had a different personality. So here are a couple that you may think like, oh, in the Gremlin movie, or here are a couple examples that may resonate with you that weren't necessarily in the Gremlin movie, but the general, the general is described as a short, stout, bald gremlin, kind of green, wearing that uniform, telling you how you must live and how you must follow those complex rules that either society gives you, that you've grown up with your family, or just anything and everything that has those rules that may not necessarily allow you to be who you are and to identify what your needs are. I've seen him on TV. He sells insurance, doesn't he? (laughs) So, yeah. Exactly. Now this talk inside your head saying it's the should, right? This is what you should do. It spouts off and it says, if you don't follow this certain set of rules, you will not be successful. And sometimes it doesn't even use the word should. It uses the word have to or must. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so when we think about the general, that general really puts us into this box where it's hard to break out of, and especially in times of trauma or in times of a pandemic, we have to think very differently. The rules are gone. All of our rules basically in society right now are pretty much gone. And we are at a point in time in the, in our lives that we need to rethink what are those rules that we want to include? And what are those rules are that are going to move us forward? How does education look in the past? What do we want education to be and how are we going to get there? But it's really hard, especially now, because we aren't abundantly charged and taking care of ourselves so that we can think deeply about those important questions and conversations that we need to be having. No, instead we just let the general take over, right? Mm-hmm. We let the general mm-hmm. take over. What about the artist? So the artist, oh, this is described as making you believe that fulfillment, happiness, and general comfort should be the living version of a beautiful painting. Hmm. Now I want you to think of Monet's work. I had the opportunity to go down um, to Denver, um, which is about three and a half hours or three hours from where I live and see the exhibit, Monet's exhibit before the pandemic hit. 
what was interesting about that is Monet painted the same landscape at different points of the day and throughout the year. And every painting was changed and to live fully really is about change, right? Mm -hmm. But listening to the artist gremlin, it keeps you stuck. So the gremlin keeps you stuck and feeling like you will never reach that final stage of completing the composition because that gremlin constantly changes the painting. It constantly is changing right when you get to that point where you think you've arrived changes. Boom. It's a different landscape. It's a different painting. Monet captured all those paintings in different times and in different ways, but they're still beautiful. And however you end up, it's still a beauty. And if you listen to the artist, then there's never the fulfillment that you are going to want to get. Because life never looks never feels as beautiful as a Monet painting, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I was able to go to Giverny in France and actually walk through his house and walk through the gardens. What an absolutely incredible place to spend your life uh, painting beautiful images. So that's a great example. Um, and then there's, you know, there's the incredible Hulk too, right? <laughs> there's that Hulk um, gremlin that you also are, want to talk about. So what's, what happens if you are, if you're listening to the Hulk? Well, the Hulk is, you know, it's not the one that we're talking about where he rips his shirt off and, you know, his pants are all tattered because he grows giant, but he does rear his ugly head when you need to share your thoughts and your feelings. One of the things that we're going to talk about later on in our podcast here with abundantly charged is how we can be a self-advocate. And this is that hawk that actually shrinks your voice. He leaves you feeling like you don't matter and you don't have the right to feel or share your thoughts at all. Whether it's appropriate or not, you are just slammed down. And it's basically, he says, sit down. You don't have a thing to say. And you aren't going to be heard anyway. So you might as well not say anything. So what happens here is a healthy discussion won't be created and it won't be able to be create those opportunities for positive change or problem solving. It's just basically the Hulk says, sit down and keep your mouth closed. So what's the difference between negative self-talk, which I know is unproductive and being honest with yourself and honestly looking in the mirror and being able to recognize both good and bad. What's the difference between those two? Mm-hmm. So I see the difference as negative self-talk is the words in your voice or the words in your head that say, hmm, I'm not good enough or you can't handle what's happening. So you need to quit. My students didn't perform like they should have because I am the worst teacher there is. Those are examples of negative self-talk. Now it's unproductive because it's constantly putting you down. The question becomes, what's the difference between negative self-talk and what you were just asking? The other part is in terms of being honest with myself, 
we're looking at very specific key data points. It's facts. This is what I do. This is what I feel. This is my behavior. When I feel like that, it's identify it's identification without any type of saying this is bad or good. And it focuses on growth too, right? I mean, we have to recognize strengths and opportunities in order to in order to think about growing and moving forward. What about this positive? feedback loop. How important is a positive feedback loop to our own self-awareness? Well, this is one of those ways that you can combat the negative self-talk because we all have it, right? So we know we have the negative self-talk. We have to be able to say, okay, I recognize that I am doing this, but how do I get out of it? How do I combat what I'm saying to myself in a different way? So first of all, you need to celebrate your wins. Like, what are you doing well? This is where that strength comes in. What am I doing really good right now? And I always need to look at the silver lining and failure. Yes, I am going to fail. I fail every day. And without that silver lining, then what is going to happen is then I get stuck back into that other part. So I have to think about staying focused and keep a visual of what I want to accomplish and learn and become. And one of the things that I do is I have a vision board that I do that with. Um, and each year there is great power in a vision board, but what it does is it helps me stay focused and I am able to really come back and see, it gives me a reflection tool that I can use to help me see what I've accomplished, what I've learned and what I've become in either a short amount of time, a year, three years. So each time I do a vision board, I include some kind of quote And this year's quote was written by an unknown author. And I think it really goes back to exactly the kind of thing that we want in terms of creating a positive feedback loop. Never regret a day in your life. Good days give happiness. Bad days give experience. Worst days give lessons. And best days give memories. So the positive feedback loop is about perspective. And when I think about this, I think about, oh, well, what about the good days? What has that brought me? Well, it's brought me happiness. Now there are bad days and we're all having them. We all have them. What does that experience teach me? Which also goes back to that growth mindset. And then the worst days, like when I royally fail, which is often, and so many do that, what happens then is that becomes that lesson that we need to do. And that we need to take in and we need to reflect on. And then, of course, when you have the most amazing days, they also build memories. Now, it doesn't mean that every part of that doesn't build a memory, but those best days give us those memories to hang on to so that we can help ourselves do that again. It creates that habit of creating those best days. So, so when we're self-aware and we have the skills to be self-aware, it's kind of like recognizing that every day is a new opportunity to grow and be successful. And, you know, it also goes back to how you view the circumstance. It's a great way to get ahead of that turmoil that you find in your head. Absolutely. 
Yeah, one of the other suggestions that you bring that we that we've talked about is uh, most important tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, most. What what are those? So the most important tasks. Now, let me tell you, I have a list of everything a mile wide. I have my personal to-do list every day and I have my professional to-do list every day. And each one's a mile wide. What that does immediately, especially at this point in time in a pandemic or when things are so overwhelming, what that's doing is it's actually overwhelming me even more. So here's what I do is I look at the most important tasks and this is the key thing. Each night, I write out the three most important tasks that I need to accomplish for the next day. Then I look at it the next morning and go, okay, here are my top three things I have to do. And then that way, what happens is if I address those priorities and three things, if I can accomplish those, or even if I can only accomplish two, what happens is that gives me that success moment so that I can carry into the next day. Because what we know is success breeds success. And when we are successful one day to the next, to the next, to the next, we're able to continue to do more, to become more productive. And that doesn't mean that we only do three things. It means that we have identified those most important tasks, right? We've got to land the plane on these, whatever those are. And anything else that we accomplish in that day is just, you know, the... The, the whipping cream on the chocolate sundae, right? It's all good. The gravy on the mashed potatoes. Yeah. See, I'm a sweets kind of person. Can you tell? <laughs> I'm all the above. Let me share with you. <laughs> so let's just talk about one other, one other idea uh, before we wrap up this episode. And that is the idea of a trigger. What's a trigger and why is that so important to self-awareness? So a trigger is what gets your goat. It's like that hot button when it's pushed, you go with your emotions from zero to like 99 in a split second or even less than that. It's where your body like tenses up and you just feel it in you and you can just almost feel a rage coming on. So that trigger is is a really hard thing because we all have them. You may not know what your colleague's trigger is or you do. Your students in your classroom are really great at figuring out your trigger and they push them often. And so understanding what your trigger is, it will help you identify the anger, the depression, and the anxiety that you are having in life and in your school. Um, And when you're asked to reflect on those, what happens is you can identify those and make a plan. So again, it goes back to just like we were talking about before is why does this trigger you? Like, what is your emotion, but what triggers you to feel this emotion, which leads us right into the reaction? How do I react to this trigger? And then what do I need? And I think the third way to think about this, or the third part of this process is the most important. I would agree. mm -hmm, What do you need to do to stay in control when you're confronted with this trigger? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, wow, that is just really, really important, right? Especially when we're in situations where somebody may, you know, uh, they may push that trigger, pull that trigger intentionally or even unintentionally. And then the other part too with that is, is 
you know, you first have to identify what is it that triggers you before you can even move into understanding how do I control my emotion behind it, which is really going to lead us into that self-management, which is next week's topic of choice here is how do I stay in control? And that also goes back to the very beginning of how do I want to show up? How do I want to show up as a person in life, whether it's at home, whether it's out in public, whether it's with the community at large as an educator, what am I going to do to make sure I show up in a way I want to? And those three questions um, regarding triggers, why does it trigger you? What is your reaction to the trigger? And what do you need to stay in control when you're confronted with a trigger really will help you hone in on creating a self awareness model for yourself. And so if you are looking for more ways to build self-awareness, check out the 50 different self-awareness activities found in the link in the comment section of this podcast. Abundantly charged means not only having developed strong social and emotional skills, but also having the ability to recharge and continuously grow our abilities when the demands on our lives and on our profession as educators seem to drain them. In essence, we have to have the ability to remain abundantly charged. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Abundantly Charged. New episodes drop every Tuesday afternoon beginning January 18th and running through March 22nd. We'll take a break and then return with Season 2 in mid-April. Abundantly Charged is a production of Students Matter, LLC, and Brilliance and Beyond, LLC. Our show's theme music, Something Different, was written and performed by Reve and obtained through Soundstripe.com. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss an episode. You can subscribe to this podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, and it could also be found on our website at abundantly-charged.captivate.fm slash episodes. If you like our show, please leave us a review. We would love to hear what you like. Until next time, remember, let's remain abundantly charged.